Our conversation about limits continues from the last episode. This time, we take a look at how fear can keep us small and disconnected. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy. A weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. One of the things that I'm thinking about that I think contributes and, and just problematizes and nuances the the thing that you're talking about where people are Please, resistant to change it. is fear. Yeah. Um, I yes. think one of yes. the, I think fear really leads us, and by us I mean human beings, at least the way in this I current. Have, I have right, been yeah. uh, culturized um, to um, look for a reason why the negative thing that's happening to someone is somehow deserved, right? Because if they deserved it, then then it won't happen to me, right? If it's genuinely um, as arbitrary as it appears, then it might happen to me too, and that's like too terrifying to hold. You know, that's why like when I'm going to try and go with something that's not sort of politicized, but um, mm -hmm. like think about right. when a storm comes through and then people get trapped by a hurricane or whatever. And then you'll see on social media or, or just in conversation, like, oh, why didn't they leave? They should have left. Right. 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 It, and, and somehow right. making that storm survivors um, trauma and, and harm like their own fault because they didn't leave, not recognizing that there are a host of reasons why someone might right. have been unable um, to leave. Uh, I mean, all kinds of reasons, like not no access to transportation or, um, you know, uh, mobility issues, disability issues that allow, you know, that, that made it impossible. There are lots and lots of reasons. So in some cases, Maybe the governor, you were following advice from someone who said, actually, don't go on the roads because the roads aren't safe. It's safer to stay in your homes. And then you get like stuff happens. But the idea of that terrible, horrible, terrifying outcome could have happened to me is so hard to hold that the first impulse is she must have deserved it. For some she, folks, yeah. She yeah. did something wrong. For many folks. Yeah, yeah I think that it's a, an evolved person who has like had the time to and space to sit with that. Like it's or who has gone through a number of those things themselves. On, like on their own. Exactly. And can yeah, and, where and, different and things people empathize. say I'm like my family literally that we went through that and that's not what happened. Like right. so your little dumb narrative about how we could have avoided that doesn't apply. Well that's that and that's kind of how the privilege perpetuates itself, right? Like I'm using the storm thing as a as a yeah, as great. an example because yeah, it doesn't nice. have kind of the other things. But right. but in that case then as someone people. if I'm if I'm live in an area that is not in Hur Hurricane Alley, then that's actually sort of a privilege of mine right there to be like, well, if I were in that situation, I would have gotten out. Like in the reality is that I'm never in that situation. Right. So yeah. I don't actually know what I would do if a hurricane were power you know, a, a, a category four storm or we're barreling toward Baltimore because it almost never happens. Um, and to me, I think another theme that I'm seeing kind of emerge from this free flowing, wonderful conversation we're having is also a capacity to navigate difficult emotion, right? So fear, but also upset. So that 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 is a requisite for evolution and innovation is 
noticing, you know, I've seen this play out with rabbis at times um, in different ways around the subject of interfaith marriage that some clergy, and this is not like rabbis have a range of different views. Let me say that rabbis and clergy, rabbis and cantors have a range of different views about this, but something that either publicly and often more in closed spaces, some clergy grapple with is I actually changed my mind a few years back. And this is actually really like, this is tough, you know, in this specific case. And it's interesting as this relates to other practitioners. Um, but I've been holding off on saying something publicly because for years or decades, I've said no to other couples. And in some cases, I might not even be able to reach, be able to reach them. And I'm having difficulty reconciling that and how to move forward, you know, and, and so... And that actually is pretty tough and different, right? But so, and so there's also, and there's also a thing around either, and, and people have different perspectives. Some say, I still stand by those decisions. And some say, I've, I've learned more. And now I, if I could go back, I would, I would have handled it differently. And I'm not fully sure of the outcome because I would have given them a couple different choices. And I don't know what they would have chosen in that scenario, but that's a lot to process. And I, I, I suspect in some areas, like in the field of medicine or certain things, some of these conversations, even just in the abstract, the prospect of having to reinterrogate years of tough decisions and, and choices that let, you know, like, it's just. It's a really good point, especially when we're talking about the medical field, because we're literally talking about life and death. Right. So, yeah, and or or the very, you know, quality of life, or you know, yeah. right, and and so that's heavy. Um, it, yeah, it's and like, please, no, go ahead. Well, I'm just I'm coming back to something you said a little while ago about um, I don't remember what words you used, but it was something about sort of a, a observing the situation, like, and and I feel like that's actually again, relevant in what you're talking about now, you know, and if, if there's a way to kind of not, I don't want to use the word objective because I think that that word has really been misused uh, by our society. Um, but so that's not what, it's not an objectivity that I'm looking for, but it is sort of a, like a wider lens. Presence, wider uh, yeah. lens and, and being willing to keep an honest presence, right? Like that it's because people at times are not even will, like there's, there's fear of, and part of it is around facing hard feelings, whether it's yeah. fear or regret or different things. But to me, it's, it's, it's basically like the simple, the not so simple thing that people talk about with finance of just because, you know, you don't, if you made a bad purchase, like there's, you don't need both financially and, or, in terms of space, you don't need to keep that thing. Like you've already paid it. Sunk and cost. so it's, a, it's, yeah. yeah, yes, it's a sunk cost. And this is the kind of the case, but yet still it, to me, actually, there's kind of an interesting corollary between clutter, at, like keeping clutter and it actually continuing to hoard. And some of these things on a structural level, because both involve deep terror and fear or lack of uh, developed capacity to be present with tough, with tough memories, with tough, with tough 
things, right? Because it, it both like there's both immense compassion that arises and also a sense of urgency around, and we don't want to continue. And now that we know, are there better are there better ways that we can do this that set us all up for success, not just the patients, or if we were to bring it back to race, not just the students or the community members, but the leaders as well. Yeah. We think about something that's great for all of us, you know? And so. I love uh, them. I love the financial metaphor. Shout out to my sister, Emily Guy Birkin. She's an amazing finance writer. And she talks a lot about the psychology of money. So that was like really resonating for me and the ways that we. Yeah, please feel free to add make, <laughs> the, Well, just, I think you're exactly right. The, the money I think traditional economists used to talk about us as actors as if we always made like the highest and best choice, but you know, in an intellectual way. But but money is very emotional for for most people. Um, so and and anyway, my sister has written about that to some uh, extent. She's pretty awesome. Y'all should Google her, Emily Guy Birkin. No hyphen. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I, anyway, that that just really resonated, and I, I I'm going to be processing that for a little while yet about the ways that sort of we can learn about the pattern of looking back on what we now maybe know or feel it was a bad decision, and the psychological and because some of that change means acknowledging that those were bad choices, but also that change can also mean moving into a different future. I'm, I think I'm really going to think a lot about how we can learn from the patterns of behavior and thought around financial decisions mm-hmm. and bad financial decisions in order to kind of think about how, and, and the interventions that my sister right. and other, and other finance writers have kind of, um, talked about to to try and translate those because I I think there are actually, there are some real parallels and in, in many ways, in many ways, sometimes the, the, the bad financial decisions are made because of moments of, you know, desperation or, or lack of resources or scarcity or or a sense of scarcity. Um, and so I think it all like, or necessity even during a certain time. And, but then that becoming a pattern rather than that being an acute moment and that becoming something that gets embedded rather yeah. than okay, yeah, yeah. that like now the, we're going to reset like that doesn't make that bad right right, right? here's my here's another story um and then uh, here's another story you know the story of the roast right like there's uh, a woman of the roast. Yeah. The, the roast, no. the pot roast. So a woman's teaching her daughter to make a pot roast. They, they, they get, bring the piece of meat for home from the store. And mom says, so first you cut the end off and you throw it away and then you put it in the roasting pan and whatever. And the daughter says, why do you cut the end off? I don't know. We just always do it. And so then eventually there's a much longer version of the story, but eventually the granddaughter goes to grandma and says, grandma, mom always cuts the end of the pot roast off and throws it away. Why, why do we put the, cut the pot roast off? And grandma says, oh, my roasting pan was too small for the full roast. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's exactly the kind of decision you're talking about. It wasn't a bad decision to cut the end off right. because it wouldn't it fit. Textual. Right. But now that, you know, kid and grandkid have a bigger roasting pan and they're still throwing away a piece of meat. Um, it's, it, that's the kinds it's of like things displaced, where- 
right? And part of it is social, just straight up social learning theory. And there's a way in different fields where it's both social learning theory, I think, at play. And also part of it might be slight, arguably like unexamined honor that is actually worth revisiting honor and also an unwillingness to consider something else and 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 having an either or paradigm in place that says that I could honor these following physicians from previous physicians from whom I've learned and acknowledged that they were working in a different context or had these different things and me moving forward and evolving doesn't inherently make them bad it's just that now there's there's more room for the roast there's exactly. more there's more technology. There's different things. And I think, you know, to kind of drive us home, unless you have another insight, because we've had so many different things come up, but, you know, it, it just, oh, I have feelings about this. I honestly should maybe, should maybe take this to my healing practice because I have a lot of feelings about this. But, you know, in this book, The Checklist Manifesto by Dr. Atul Gawande, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He, he, I'm, it's fascinating to me, like to kind of come full circle. I thought of mentioning this earlier, but then we really went in deep about these different third spaces and different options because simply by, and part of me gets a little annoyed about this in different ways, about different elements that, that I see of patriarchy and dynamics around white supremacy culture that may be playing out in medicine or, or different features, but either way, but basically he finds that um, by using a checklist globally in all different kinds of hospitals and in, in contexts that the fatality and injury rate post-surgery drops dramatically, dramatically. And it took a lot of effort to get people to adopt this thing for a number of these different reasons, because it could imply that they weren't great enough before rather than saying, no, 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 we understand you're fantastic, but you're also human. So this is just additional insight, right? And by bringing this in, we can dramatically save lives. And I just, I continue to think about that because I don't think everything is as simple as a checklist, but I honestly think, you know, especially after we just went through this really great learning program that you and I did together about thinking about how we structure joyous justice and our work together in our day-to-day -day lives. And it was fascinating to me to learn some of the sophisticated elements and also some of the solutions that were actually simpler yeah, we're just profoundly simple. Um, and so that's one thing that keeps me motivated in this work as we consider these different options. And if this resonates with any of you out there of um, taking time to learn about some of these enduring adaptive challenges and also noticing or being on the lookout for, is there a relatively simple solution or um, uh incremental shift here that is may not be the full piece, but that could actually lead to enormous shifts or openings of new possibilities that make way um, for newer paradigms to, to come into being. So, and more just, I should specifically uh, clarify because new in and of itself doesn't really mean much to me. It's more right. about um, just and kind. So... This is a fun journey. Thanks for joining us, friends. And thank you, Tracy, for going on that initiating and going on that intellectual adventure together. Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. 
To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time and stay humble and keep going.